welcome to the China and the World podcast, a series of discussions examining China's foreign policy and shifting engagement with the world. Brought to you by Carnegie China, hosted by Paul Hanley. Welcome back to the China and the World podcast from Carnegie China. I'm delighted today to welcome Dr. Lam Peng R to discuss the current state and future trajectory of Sino-Singapore relations, as well as a few other topics of interest. But before diving into the interview, let me uh, first take the opportunity to introduce Dr. Lam. Dr. Lam Peng R is a senior research fellow at the East Asian Institute National University of Singapore. Uh, over the past eight months, I've had the opportunity, the, the terrific opportunity, to join Dr. Lam at the East Asian Institute, where I'm a visiting research fellow, uh, and engage with Dr. Lam and a host of other excellent scholars who cover China and economic issues, international affairs in East Asia, among others. Dr. Lam's research areas include Singaporean politics, Sino-Singapore relations, Sino-Japanese relations. Japanese politics, and international relations in Southeast Asia. I do not see U.S.-China on his official list of areas of expertise, but I can tell you from our weekly research meetings that this is another area where uh, Dr. Lam has deep knowledge and understanding. Um, Dr. Lam's latest uh, single-authored book is called Japan's Peacebuilding Diplomacy in Asia, Searching for an Active Political Role published by uh, Routledge in 2009. Uh, he is also the editor of three academic journals, International Relations of the Asia Pacific by Oxford University Press, Asia Journal of Peacebuilding by Seoul University, and East Asia Policy and International Quarterly at the East Asian Institute at National University of Singapore. He's, he earned his PhD in political science uh, from Columbia University, holds a master's from Australian National University and a bachelor's of social science from the National University of Singapore. Pungar, thank you very much for joining me today and sharing your insights. Thank you, Paul. Let's start off with uh, a topic, of course, that's on uh, everyone's mind today for obvious reasons, and that's the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, it was a shock to many. It's uh, led to significant shifts in international politics. Uh, in the wake of Russia's invasion, Singapore was the only country in ASEAN to impose sanctions on Russia. On February 24th, the day of the invasion, Singapore's Prime Minister Li Shenlong condemned the action uh, and called it an unprovoked invasion of a sovereign country. By all accounts, Pangar, this was the first time in decades that Singapore had censured a foreign nation without UN Security Council backing. And I just want to start out our discussion. What, in your view, explains Singapore's strong response to the war in Ukraine? And, and how do you think that uh, this stance will impact Singapore's ties with China, uh, with the United States as well, uh, given that both of those countries, of course, have taken a different approach to the war in Ukraine? You know, Singapore is you have mentioned is indeed an outlier in ASEAN. Singapore is the only country in ASEAN to have uh, slapped sanctions on uh, Russia. Um, and Singapore has called a spade a spade. An invasion is an invasion, right? A cat is a cat, a mm. dog is a cat, uh, a dog is a dog. 
So we call an invasion an invasion and not a special military operations. Yeah. Um, China remains silent, you know. Uh, you know, Chinese tradition, we talk, uh, that, that's this Confucian thing called uh, the rectification of names, you know, Confucianism, a rectification mm. of names. Uh, a king must behave like a king, you know. If a king doesn't behave like a king, then he's a, the king is a thief. And if the king is a thief, you cannot call him a king, you know. That's yeah. from Confucianism. So in, in Singapore, it's not so much that we are guided by Confucianism and so on. We call a spade a spade. And the city-state mm -hmm. of Singapore um, had been very upfront on this because the sovereignty of small states, international norms, interna international law is deemed to be crucial, indispensable, and critical to the survival of Singapore as a small state. So I hope it doesn't give, uh, Singapore doesn't like, give the wrong impression to people that, hey, Singapore uh, condemned the Russian invasion. Therefore, Singapore is a uh, is a is pro US. is a is a lackey of the US. is a psychophant of the US. And mm, since mm. Singapore adopted the position in contradistinction to China, out of sync to China's preference, therefore Singapore is anti-China. You know, so I think all this just uh, a, a cloud of uh, misunderstanding. Singapore is doing it not because it is anti-China, anti-Russia, or a pro US. We are doing it for our own self-interest. We are doing yeah. it for our own self-interest. You know? mm -hmm. And Singapore is a leader at the Forum of Small States in the United States, uh, un at the United Nations. It's a leader of a small state forum. There are like more than 60 over countries in the UN uh, General Assembly, uh, which are members of this Forum of Small States. And we are all basically very sensitive about international law, rule-based system, you know, so if small states, uh, little powers or even great powers do not speak up for uh, a rule-based system, then it's basically a Hobbesian rule of the jungle. In such a system, uh, it, it is actually inimical and uh, menacing, threatening to Singapore's uh, survival and Singapore's national interest. And um, very interestingly, Singapore may be a small state, our population size is only like 5.5 uh, million, it used to be 5.6, 5.6 mm. million before the pandemic. Now, unfortunately, about 100,000 people left because of the pandemic. 5.5 uh, million, but um, um, your, your listeners of this program uh, may be uh, surprised to know that Singapore had actually, uh, the Singapore developed uh, anti-tank uh, projectile, you know, we, we have this uh, anti-tank and uh, missile known as a Matador. Uh, we jointly produce it with Ukraine, designed it with, uh, sorry, let me uh, see that game. Uh, came across a bit double. Uh, Singapore sold around 5,000 Matador missiles to Ukraine to take out uh, mm. Russian tanks. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say it's uh, that Singapore sold. It is actually a Singapore um, Israeli uh, German design uh, missile. It's known as a Matador. So it's uh, mm -hmm. jointly trilaterally, you know. And we have, and uh, I, it's not right for me to say who sold what to who, you know. Um, but that's interesting. Singapore, yeah, Singapore, Germ German, Israeli design Matador uh, um, missile have been sold. It is a portable missile, you know, uh, to be sold, had, had already been sold to Ukraine. So um, 
Yeah, so so back to this uh, this issue of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, on this particular particular issue, Singapore is aligned with those who support the system of uh, state sovereignty. So it happened that US, uh, yeah. you know, is yeah. uh, and its allies are supportive of this. And one should note that Singapore basically aligned itself with an overwhelming majority of countries in the world. You look at the United mm-hmm. Nations General Assembly, if I remember correctly, at least 140 over countries, about more than 140 countries, uh, supported the resolution uh, condemning the, uh, you know, the Russian use of force in yeah. Ukraine. So, so yeah. one should not have the, uh, the impression that, hey, Singapore's position is uh, critical of Russia, therefore, Singapore right. is a lackey of the United States. So that, that's really right. wrong. Right. Singapore is aligned so with I, the majority of countries in the world. And the US is aligned with the majority of countries in the world on this yeah. issue. And China is out of sync with the majority of the countries in the world. You know, Most of the ASEAN yeah. countries have actually supported it. The only ASEAN country which opposed, or uh, in fact, which supported Russia's invasion of Ukraine is uh, Myanmar yeah. and its country, yeah. Junta. Yeah. But the Myanmar delegate at the UN uh, refused to abide by what the military junta wanted. You know, nine out of ten ASEAN countries are critical of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And as you say, Pangar, I mean, this um, what ma- what happens uh, with Ukraine uh, in a sense matters to 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 Singapore um, in the sense of you know a sovereign state being invaded by a much larger country and much larger military. Um, there's there's issues of international law as well. Um, don't want the rule of the jungle, not in Singapore's interest. So um, when you analyze Singapore's interests, there's a lot of reasons, as you suggest, um, that led to the decision uh, to sanction uh, Russia. But of course, it you know gets wrapped up in the in the us China relationship, of course, because uh-huh. as I said, you know, the us and China have taken different positions. and you know, in my view, it it, you know, that fact, the positioning that China has taken has put strains on a relationship that was already strained. Now, when you look at the U.S.-China relationship from the perspective of Singapore, uh, we've heard your prime minister, he often says Singapore will not take sides in the great power competition between the U.S. and China. And you, in a recent article for the Journal of Contemporary East Asian Studies, uh, you argue that Singapore's foreign policy approach is essentially one that seeks a geostrategic alignment with the U.S. superpower while deepening economic ties with China. So let me ask you, what explains Singapore's strategy for navigating U.S.-China? Help our listeners, many of you are in the United States. Um, how, you know, what, how, what explains that strategy and how successful in your view has that been? You know, what benefits does Singapore derive from being, uh, from its attempts to be balanced between the U.S. and China? Does it have any negative um, aspects of it in terms of Singapore's interest? You know, this 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 real attempt to balance. How do you see that? Yes. Uh, thanks, Paul. You know, Singapore's strategy and policy is not to take sides in any hegemonic struggles between great powers. And this is not a new policy. It had been a policy adopted by Singapore uh, even during the uh, Cold War era. And uh, But that said, 
Singapore's pragmatic position in international relations is to maintain a balance of power in Southeast Asia. To maintain a balance of power in Southeast Asia and preferably in the bigger East, uh, East Asian region. Uh, Singapore as a city-state, uh, Singapore by itself, cannot maintain a balance of power in Southeast Asia. We are just too small. Huh? We are a price taker, right? Uh, we are not a price shaper in Southeast Asia. So when we looked around in the 1980s, uh, what is the environment we saw? This is a Cold War, right? Cold War ended in 1991. The U.S. pulled out of Vietnam in 1975. Mm. The Vietnam War was extremely unpopular in the United States. <laughs> uh, you know, I have many American friends, they were very polarized. But with hindsight, uh, many felt that the U.S. should not have been in Vietnam. But, you know, if I'm honest with you, uh, let, let me say something to, to you guys, all right, to Americans. Um, no matter how critical we are of the U.S. involvement in Indochina, that actually provided breathing space for Singapore and a few of the non-communist ASEAN countries to develop. Mm. Yeah, Singapore became sovereign in 1965. U.S. pulled out in 1975. So during those 10 years, the American presence in Vietnam really mm. gave Singapore breathing space, you know, to basically establish itself as a sovereign state. It was very important yeah. for us. Yeah. So our perspective, we, we can understand why it was such a polarizing issue in the American right. domestic right. politics, you know, and like uh, atrocities committed by both sides and so on. But from a very narrow, self-interested perspective of Singapore, it basically Benefit, bought yeah. us valuable mm -hmm. time, you know, uh, for us to establish our system. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, by the time the US pulled out uh, of Vietnam, of Indochina, we, we were okay. Um, but even though the US pulled out of Vietnam, it had uh, alliances and spokes with Korea, South Korea, mm -hmm. uh, Japan, the Philippines, and Thailand. Uh, Thailand. Okay. Yeah. So we kind of, uh, Lee Kuan Yew, you know, he's like uh, the, the grandmaster of geopolitics. You know, he, 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 he kind of anticipated uh, the power shift and uh, in the post-Cold War era, you know, he wasn't really that sanguine about the wonders of uh, globalization, peace on earth, you know, the peace on <laughs> earth and the liberal enterprise. You know, mm -hmm. he's still a balance of power, a supreme realist, you know? Yeah. Okay, he tried to make, he, he wanted to make friends with uh, China, with the US, and uh, assisted, from the 1980s, Singapore assisted China's modernization. We provided uh, assistance, uh, investments, and so on. But Lee Kuan Yew was also very, very concerned about the relative decline of the United States in the 1990s. Okay, hmm. I mean, he went beyond the hype of Francis Fukuyama about the end of history's uh, liberal democracy and so on. You know, I mean, he, he's not an advocate of liberal democracy, yeah? uh, but he was very, very concerned about the balance of power, and he had he was prescient. He, he had the foresight before he stepped down as prime minister. He didn't want to burden his successors, you know. Uh, with a memorandum of understanding with the United States. So in 1990, right, Cold War ended in 1991, but in 1990, Lee Kuan Yew went ahead to sign a memorandum of understanding with the United States, mm -hmm. providing military facilities 
to the mm. U.S. Navy. So today, what we have is um, a squadron of U.S. fighter planes on a rotational basis. Uh, that's the U.S. Uh, Poseidon planes to scout the South China Sea. Um, we made provisions for uh, U.S. combat littoral vessels, littoral ships, mm-hmm. based in mm-hmm. Singapore. And of course, we welcome uh, the navies of various countries, including the United States, to take advantage of the Changi uh, naval base. So the U.S. Mm-hmm. aircraft carrier fleet would uh, would come to Singapore. Although mm-hmm. in future, if the Liaoning were to come to Singapore, um, you know, we will allow port visits by the British or French or Indians or, or the Chinese. But the U.S. is in a very special category because we signed uh, MOU in 1990. And this MOU had been uh, updated, revised and updated over the years, you know. And now we, mm-hmm. we, we have like a cooperation in cybersecurity with the U.S., and the intent since 1990, and this has not changed in 2002, mm. Mm. which is mm. to, to anchor to anchor the United States in Southeast Asia. You know, so so we we are never impressed in Singapore. We are not impressed by America first. You know, because I think uh, that's kind of you know the Trumpian America first. We want US to be anchored in Southeast Asia. You no, know? mm. not not because we necessarily love Americans more than the Chinese or Indians. I mean, we love all of them. But for our national survival, it was important for the U.S. to be anchored in Southeast Asia. No? So whether it's a rising China, rising India, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. So we, we want a, we what we want, Singapore one, is a multiplicity of powers in in Southeast mm-hmm. Asia, not against each mm-hmm. other. It's not balancing against someone; it's balancing among. You know, and within this framework, of course, Singapore being an ASEAN member, we support ASEAN multilateralism, ASEAN centrality. Yeah, so so we are very clear-minded. We are very clear-minded about our relationship with the United States. And Paul, earlier on, you quoted me yeah. uh, about the Singapore foreign policy that yes. is strategically aligned to the U.S. and uh, economic big economic partnership with China. I mean, that is just a nutshell. In but in actuality, uh, our relationship with uh, both the United States and China uh, multifaceted, very comprehensive. I I don't want to give. Uh, your esteemed uh, listeners, the impression that mm. Singapore's relationship with US is basically just military. That's not the case. It's a very, very important relationship for us because the US is a supplier of uh, key weapon systems for Singapore to uh, pro- yeah. protect ourselves for our nas- national sovereignty, for deterrence, you know. Uh, but, but actually, Singapore's a, uh, let me say that again, um, the United States is a key investor in Singapore. Cumulatively, mm. United States and Japanese investments in Singapore are much greater than China. <laughs> mm. Much greater so than not China. Just, yeah. Not yeah. just the military yeah, aspect. It is not just uh, the economic rise of China. The Japanese are here. The, the US are here decades before we talk about China's rise. You know? so, let me uh, ask Singapore you about China. Okay, let me go ask, ahead. Let me ask you about China because in that same article, you talked about the Sino-Singapore relationship and you called it an awkward special relationship and very awkward, they argue, yeah. argue the relationship is special in terms of economic ties and cultural affinity but awkward because of singapore's traditionally strong ties with the united states so yes. talk a little bit about that um okay, and, and, and elaborate a little bit on the the various dimensions of the sino-singaporean relationship and you know how yes. how, how those evolved over the years okay um 
is very comprehensive, multifaceted. Uh, Singapore adopts a friendship paradigm towards uh, China. Uh, we have no territorial disputes with China, and China never invaded Singapore. So you know, uh, okay, that's it. Um, why? Why special? Okay, why? Why special? Um, very obvious. Singapore is the only sovereign state in the world. Okay, with a population comprising of seventy percent. You know, seventy. Let me say that again. Seventy-five percent of Singapore's population are ethnic Chinese. Mm. Yeah, it's it's really unique. Okay, uh, Taiwan is something different, something special, uh, something different. But we are talking about a country located in Southeast Asia, and and in many countries in Southeast Asia, there's a large chunk, large segment of uh, ethnic Chinese. Some people call them uh, Chinese overseas, Chinese overseas. In Singapore, we don't like the expression overseas Chinese because we do not view ourselves as overseas Chinese. Since Singapore became mm -hmm. a sovereign state, we just call ourselves Singaporeans. You know, We don't even right. call ourselves like hyphenated Singaporeans, like Indian Singaporean, Chinese Singaporean, or Malay Singaporean, or Korean Singaporean, we, a Jewish Singaporean. We don't. We just call ourselves Singaporeans. That's our national Identity in the United States, I think you guys may be more sensitive. You know, there's hyphenated Americans, like Italian Americans, African Americans. Seventy-five yeah, percent of Singaporeans are ethnic Chinese. So mm -hmm. that that is a double-edged sword. Actually, it makes it special. It also makes it awkward. Mm -hmm. uh, most Singaporean Chinese, uh, Singaporeans of ethnic descent, they can speak Mandarin and uh, various Chinese dialects. Um, they, they watch Chinese uh, kung fu movies, uh, historical uh, movies, uh, soap opera, and so on. So, and many Singaporeans are quite well to do. Uh, they travel to many countries, including China. So, mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so, so you know, there's a, there's a great deal of interaction at the social level and the cultural level between Singapore and China. These have actually gone on since the 19th century. Mm, you know, mm. and, and for a time have been disrupted by, by the Chinese Civil War, by Great Leap Forward, uh, Cultural Revolution, and so on. But once uh, China opened up in 1968, when Deng Xiaoping adopted the uh, reform policy, um, the relationship between Singapore and China had grown uh, exponentially. Okay, not economically, but also at the social cultural level, you know. But mm -hmm. why? Why do I say is a it's it's a double edged sword? You know, Singapore besides the ethnic component, Singapore have done something which no countries have done. Singapore had actually trained more than fifty five thousand Chinese officials on good governance in Singapore o over the years. <laughs> you know, this this is astonishing. No, no countries have done that. But uh, China right. had felt local government, central government. Have Felt that uh, this is a very useful exchange program, and and Singapore have agreed. We have trained more than fifty five thousand Chinese officials. You know, um, that's also a three major state to state projects, uh, three major projects: Suzhou Industrial Park, the Tianjin Eco City, and the Chongqing Connectivity. So mm -hmm. this this is really unique. There are no other countries in the world with this kind of a high level. Uh, agreement between the top political leaders, or you know, another country to in introduce the DNA, you know, industrial DNA or ecological DNA, a system of governance to China. Mm -hmm. 
you know, maybe the Soviet Union uh, did it in the past, in the 1950s. No? But uh, in the post-Cold War era, uh, Singapore have done it, and uh, many Chinese are actually very, uh, very yeah. appreciative of what uh, Singapore have done. And Singapore also have small-scale military exercises between the People's Liberation Army and the Singapore Armed Forces. S- small-scale, you know, anti-terrorist yeah. uh, activities. Uh, that's a live shooting, but it's only at the platoon level. It's nothing compared to the kind of uh, uh, cooperation we have between the Singapore Armed Forces and the U.S. military. Yeah. So we have to but look strong, at that. But, but strong ties, nevertheless. And the cultural yeah. ties yes. are and strong. Economics. And, and uh, yeah, let me ask you about the economics second. But let me just so basically, what I hear you saying is, first and foremost, Singapore is a sovereign country; it's independent. Yes. Um, um, and and that's first and foremost sense of pride there. On the other hand, uh, the cultural ties are strong. Historically, there are ties. Seventy-five uh, percent of citizens in Singapore are ethnic Chinese. And so that creates a lot of linkages. And I suspect that, you know, even though Singapore is, you know, first and foremost, sovereign, independent nation, at the same time, I suspect there's a great deal of pride at watching the rise of China, mainland China. That is a complicated relationship. It's deeply layered. Um, But then there's the economic piece, which you just mentioned. And I wanted to ask on that, obviously the economic ties are strong between Singapore and China. With with China's growing economic clout, is there a risk in your mind that that could create some overdependence on Beijing and and risk uh, impacting negatively the independence, the independent foreign policy that Singapore has? And how does Singapore factor that in and, and 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 take that into account and deal with that potential risk. China exercise a magnetic pull on its neighbors, especially in the economic realm. But you know, Singapore is also very unique. Singapore is the num- number one investor in the world in China. We are the b- biggest investors in China since uh, 2013. And China, uh, Singapore is the, is the number one destination for Chinese investments in the world. It used to be the United States, but now Singapore is the number one destination for China. Um, I, I will answer your, your question in uh, perhaps in an indirect way, um, but l- let me come back to the question of uh, why the relationship is awkward. Um, and this awkwardness, ambivalence of Singapore is not unique to Singapore. It is very awkward from Japan, Republic of Korea, and uh, most of the ASEAN countries. Why, why is that so? Th- that's the uncertain power transition in East Asia. Okay? Uh, personally, I don't buy the, the argument that, hey, relative decline of US will result in Pax Sinica. Uh, China will replace mm. the United States. I don't buy that. I think basically when we look at the region from Singapore eyes, uh, of course, uh, sometimes there's a confusion you know, between what we think will be or what we what we want or what it will be, what it may be with what it ought to be. So what we want is uh, multilateralism in East Asia, a multipolar world. It's not going to be from US uh, bipolarity with the Soviet Union to US unipolarity to Mexico. You know? we, we don't think it's going to be like that. You know? and, and what we want is ASEAN centrality, 
open regionalism in which the United mm -hmm. States, China, Japan, Korea, India, Australia, New Zealand, uh, the EU are all uh, friends and uh, members of this uh, ASEAN-led community. You no, know, it sounds like uh, maybe a, a pipe dream, you know, but what are our alternatives? So why awkward cause of the power transition? Right? We, we are not quite sure how it will evolve. It's very awkward for small countries. That's one thing. Uh, the other awkwardness I've mentioned earlier is that 75% of the ethnic population, uh, ethnic Chinese. So what is the implication for Singapore's national identity? How can Singapore maintain its multicultural, multi-ethnic identity? How can Singapore maintain yep. its sensitivities to a very important ethnic minorities in, in Singapore? The other 25% are ethnic ethnic Indians, ethnic Malays, right? Yeah. So if Singapore becomes like more pro-Beijing, appears to be like more Chinese in orientation, it creates domestic tension mm. in mm. Singapore. It becomes a political issue in Singapore and it becomes an issue of national identity in Singapore. Right. So we right. are very, very sensitive if uh, the top Chinese leaders or many of the thinking heads, in fact, they did. Chinese uh, media, whether it's the People's Daily or Global Times, mm -hmm. you know, they came mm -hmm. down hard on Singapore and saying that, hey, hey guys, 25% of you guys are ethnic Chinese, so you guys should understand our position better. You right. know, why, why are you guys so obdurate? You know, you should be more sympathetic to China's position. Why are you criticizing us on our position, our sovereignty in the South China Sea, you know? So Singapore mm -hmm. is very often placed in a very insidious position with mm -hmm. unreasonable you know, unmatchable expectations that just because 75% right. of the population are ethnic Chinese, therefore, we have to be more sympathetic to Beijing's preferences in the South China right. Sea or dispute with Taiwan and so on. That, that's something which we cannot do. But it's very awkward for us, you know. It has implications yeah, for our national identity. Because if Singapore appears to be more Chinese, it creates problems domestically. for Singapore's relations with Indonesia and Malaysia. And it uh, also raises questions about Singapore's authenticity in ASEAN. We cannot yeah. be a third China. You see, when, when we say we cannot be a third China, the Chinese will jump on me, on me and say, look, look, please don't say third China because there's only one China. Uh, yeah, other awkward things. You know, uh, it's, it's our relationship, our relationship with Taiwan. So I'm not quite sure. I think some of your erudite listeners uh, will be aware that Singapore have regular military exercises in Taiwan. We have military bases in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. No countries have that. We have that since 1975. Mm -hmm. You know, we have an uh, arrangement with Taiwan is known as uh, Project Starlight. During the peak, we, we can, uh, any one year, we can deploy like 15,000 troops, Singapore Armed Forces, uh, uh, to take advantage of training ground in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. uh, PRC, Beijing never quite liked that because they said, hey, you know, we have diplomatic relations, you recognize our PRC, uh, we know this is a legacy thing. You need training space for your military. But hey, guys, how about downsizing? How about uh, relocating the Singapore Armed Forces? These the Chinese informally told us that uh, Taiwan is becoming uh, very well developed. And your training grounds in Taiwan is shrinking. We have more space for you in Hainan Island. So why don't you come to Hainan? <laughs> but of course, Singapore very politely, quietly, you know, uh, behind the scenes, right? This All, all these are kind of... Uh, Official mm, interactions. Interesting. They told the Chinese very politely, thank you so much, but no thank you. Thank you, but no thank you. Uh, why is that so? Number one, because we have a good uh, arrangement with Taiwan. Number two, if uh, the Singapore Armed Forces were to train in Hainan, then it complicates our relations with the great powers. 
with the United States, with Japan, and so on. And mm -hmm. even more critically, it will raise a great deal of suspicions with Malaysia and Indonesia. We we, we are not prepared to alienate mm -hmm. Malaysia and Indonesia. You know, if the Singapore Armed Forces, thousands of our troops are training in, in Hainan, the Malaysia and Indonesia will ask, ask us, hey, what's your relationship with Taiwan? Sorry, let me say that again. What's your relationship with mainland China? Uh, you guys, are you guys training with the uh, PLA? And what's the purpose? Who is it targeted against? Huh? Are you guys training, you know, the Singapore Armed Forces to be targeted against uh, Indonesia and, and Malaysia? So we, we just kind of sidestep it. It's, it's kind of awkward. Yeah, yeah. Why, you know, in 2016, uh, in transit, you know, after the military exercises, uh, nine Terex armored vehicles of Singapore Armed Forces were detained in Hong Kong. Yeah, you know, we believe it was at the behest of the of the mainland uh, mainland authorities to the right. uh, to the Hong Kong port authorities, no? or else why we have been doing that? Why would Hong Kong, out of blue, uh, decided to uh, seize, you know, to uh, to, to grab our uh, right. nine yeah. armored vehicles? Yeah, you know, that was very, really, really very awkward for us, you know. And the Chinese mm. basically told us, "Yeah, bad boys, you know." Um, it shouldn't be in Taiwan, and uh, you guys should have remained silent about the permanent court of arbitration uh, in South China Sea. Interesting. Yeah, you know, the, in the South China Sea, in the, in the South China Sea, what Singapore did was actually very innocuous. Singapore said we took note, we noted the permanent court of arbitration a ruling on the South China Sea. The Philippines, you know, under the armed clause, a lot of the sea, basically, uh, took legal action against China. China was very uncomfortable, but China was very angry with Singapore and the Chinese citizens, officials, journalists basically said that. So the least you guys could, could have done is keep quiet, you know. You should have been, been more sympathetic to Singapore's position, you know. Mm. So, so basically mm. that was extremely awkward for Singapore. They eventually released the our armored vehicles, you know, nine armored vehicles, but they basically tried to make us squirm, you know, over that incident yeah, it's so, a, the awkward special relationship uh a phrase seems seems to fit in many many different cases hungar let me let me uh ask a a, a a final question around you've talked a lot about regional dynamics and it's um and it's really fascinating and i think you've given the listeners a much more nuanced understanding of singapore's position in the region vis-a-vis -vis ASEAN, in particular Indo Indonesia and Malaysia, neighboring countries, uh, with China, uh, with Taiwan, and with the United States. Now, the United States has unveiled a new Indo-Pacific strategy. Just came out in February. Obviously, you've been watching it very carefully. You know, the strategy um, was meant to promote freedom of navigation and, and ensure supply chain resilience, promote high standards for infrastructure, a range of, uh, of, of other aspects. In the U.S., it gets criticized uh, for the lack of a robust trade and economic agenda. Um, what's your assessment of this new Indo-Pacific strategy from your standpoint? How is it viewed in Singapore and then the region more broadly from your perspective? Now, you know, uh, Paul, Singapore basically adheres to the ASEAN outlook of the Indo-Pacific. Uh, as a member of uh, ASEAN, uh, Singapore does not officially embrace the Indo-Pacific concept. In fact, this Indo-Pacific 
concept Indo-Pacific strategy was first articulated by Japan by uh, then Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, no? by Abe right. Shinzo. Yeah, and had subsequently been raised, adopted by United States, by Australia, and so on. So what ASEAN have done is to have an outlook, an outlook of the Indo-Pacific. But basically, you look at the document, it is like a mishmash, it's a rehashing of ASEAN centrality. Mm-hmm. Of ASEAN mm-hmm. centrality. You know? So officially, I, I don't think ASEAN or Singapore have actually adopted the Indo-Pacific framework. And uh, very interestingly, when uh, Prime Minister Lee Hsien Long uh, visited the United States recently, visited the White House and in his q and I uh, went through his text. Uh, nowhere did he ever adopted the terminology of Indo-Pacific. He, he referred uh, to it as Asia-Pacific? He always said Asia-Pacific. He did not say Indo-Pacific. Biden and the rest of his team uh, articulated mm-hmm. the Indo-Pacific. But Singapore, we said Asia-Pacific, you know. So is that a, you know, is does that indicate something? You know, is that a, a differences and nuance between Singapore and the United States? Uh, I'm not sure, but thus far, Singapore had never adopted the framework or the concept of the Indo-Pacific. Okay. Even though we had uh, adopted a balance of power, ASEAN centrality, and we right. will enthusiastically support uh, the U.S. proposal of, of an uh, Indo-Pacific uh, economic framework. You know, if it's an Indo-Pacific economic framework, uh, that is something right. which we can accept. But if it's an Indo-Pacific concept strategy, then it may be problematic for, for our relations with Beijing. Be- because mm-hmm. the Chinese are very, very sensitive. Uh, in my uh, interactions with uh, the Chinese um, officials, uh, scholars, they, they think that the Indo-Pacific is basically a containment policy mm-hmm. against China. U.S.-led containment policy against uh, China. So for the ASEAN countries and Singapore, we just don't want to give uh, rise to misunderstandings between our relationship with Beijing. We, 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 you know, we, we just don't want China to be more paranoid about terminologies, no? So if Singapore were to declare, if ASEAN were to declare that, hey, we embrace the Indo-Pacific strategy, uh, China will come down very hard on us. They think that we are actually lackeys of the United States. Right. Uh, understand. Some kind of containment, which, I mean, who, who is containing China, you know? None of us are actually planning to contain China. Uh, but uh, we don't quite uh, adopt that framework. We can understand why certain countries have adopted that framework. Uh, yeah, you know, when this, uh, Lee Sien Long, Prime Minister Lee Sien Long was in uh, D.C., uh, he was asked, you know, hey, is Singapore a whisperer for Beijing? Uh, and basically he said, no, I'm not a whisperer. I'm not an interlocutor for Beijing. And uh, Singapore would adopt its, its, own, uh, its, its own approach, which is to maintain very good ties with uh, both great powers and also with uh, other middle powers, with ROK, Japan, India, Australia. You know, that's, that's our approach for prosperity, stability, and survival. Well, thank you, Pangar. That was terrific. Um, and I think you've gone across the region um, and given a sense of, of Singapore's approach in a number of different areas. And I really want to thank you for joining the China in the World podcast and sharing your insights. Um, and you've helped to convey the nuances of the region, I think, in a better way than I've I've seen anybody do it in a long time. So thank you so much for joining and hope to have you on the program again in the future. Okay, thank you, Paul. Thank you so much.
Yeah, all the best to your listeners too.